Let's go ahead and let's wrap this up. This is, for unto us a child is born. Our main verse that we've been talking from is, is Isaiah 9, 6a. And it's, it's a verse that we all know. It says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Every time a child is born, something comes. It's, there, it, a child doesn't just come alone. A, a lot of times we think that. A lot of times we think, oh, well, the baby's born and the baby comes in with nothing. The, the baby really does bring things. Now, it doesn't necessarily bring physical things, but, but things come. We, we receive things when a child is given. And over the last month, we've been kind of looking at some of these births in the Bible and seeing what we can receive from that gift. Because obviously, not only did Jesus bring many, many things, but we talked about John the Baptist. We talked about uh, others that basically brought something along with him, with them that kind of is something that we can look at today. So we're going to talk about today the birth, uh, the story of the birth of Moses. The story of the birth of Moses. Before we jump in, let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time. <clears throat> God, for this opportunity to, to share. And Father, I do believe that, that, that you spoke to my heart for a purpose, for a reason to go this direction. And so God, not that I don't always pray this, but God, even more so right now, God, I pray you would open our hearts. That Father, you would, you would allow in our hearts to just be so open to what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to us and communicate to us. Because I think it's important for this moment, whether this moment is today and this time or two weeks from now or later on, whenever, God, your, your perfect timing is, God, we pray that our, the hearers of this word that you have spoken would, would be open to the work that you desire to do in us and through us. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at the story of the birth of Moses. We're going to be in Exodus 1 and Exodus 2 this morning, pretty much as we kind of look at the story. So first, we're going to kind of look at the story. We're going to kind of study it a little bit, see some things, and kind of let it speak to us. But let's start with Exodus 1.8. In Exodus 1.8, we're going to kind of begin to unravel the story a little bit. Now, just so we know, kind of give a little context. At this point, uh, the Israelites have been now living in Egypt for quite a while. Um, um, and, and Joseph, obviously, if you know the story of Joseph and, and, and Pharaoh and all that sort of stuff, because of that situation and God bringing him there, uh, basically this is where uh, Israel and, and all the sons and all the tribes have kind of settled in this area. And so that's kind of where we're at in the story. And we're going to start again with verse number eight. It says, eventually a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. Obviously, if we, if we remember, Joseph uh, interpreted the Pharaoh's dream and really saved Egypt and saved a lot of people because they planned for a famine that came and so on and so forth. I don't want to get into it. It's in the uh, book of Genesis if you're interested. But a king or a Pharaoh comes that doesn't know what Joseph has done. And he says to his people, look... The people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't and war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. And then this is, this is, this is cool. We jump to verse 12. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, 
the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more and, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. Now listen, this has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about this morning, but I want you to hear some truth here that I think God is wanting us to see. Isn't it interesting that this, they got this plan? Listen, if we continue this route, if we continue the way things are going, these Israelites are going to be more powerful than us. And so the Egyptians are getting a little concerned. So they decide to oppress. They decide to bring down. They decide to try to destroy in a lot of ways. And even in that impression, even in that situation, the Israelites multiply and they grow and they get blessed. Because here's what I found about God and his economy and how God works. God's blessing and God's multiplication in our lives is not determined on the situations we find ourselves in. Do you understand? God doesn't go, well, I would like to do this in your life, but there's a situation that is hindering me in doing that. God's plan and God's promises are going to take place and they're going to happen. It doesn't matter the situation you find yourself in. And so even in this oppression, even in this moment, they continue to multiply. So let's continue on now with uh, 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 Egyptians. <laughs> Exodus 1, 15. This is what it says. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shipra and Pura. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. Okay. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. So what's Pharaoh do here? He's going, this isn't working. I'm trying to accomplish something. And so now what he's decided to do is he's taken it one step further. Now he's moved into murder. And he's basically gone to the, 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 the midwives of the Hebrew people. Now, now, these were probably these two ladies that I probably butchered their names, by the way. Um, they were probably kind of the head of the midwives and things like that. They were more than just two, okay? And so he brings these two ladies in and says, listen, uh, when you're assisting with the birth, if it's a boy, you, you, you take him out. If it's a girl, you can let him live. And these women refuse to obey the king's order. And so now we're starting, obviously, we're starting to see not only are they oppressed, not only are they dealing with uh, being slaves, but now, now they're being systematically targeted for extinction. I mean, listen, hear me here. I mean, I think we understand how this works. You lose all the boys, eventually you'll lose all the girls. You got to have them both to keep growing, okay? And so he decides to do this. Let's look at Exodus 1, as we continue on with our story, Okay? Because obviously this doesn't work. This doesn't work. And so then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Now I want you to stop and I want you to see that. Okay? Because that's one of those things that we'll read over because we know this story a little bit. Pharaoh has given an order to all the people. Okay? We're going to hold on. Remember that. Okay? So this is not just now to a subset of individuals. This is to everyone. This is to everyone in his country that, according to the religion of the Egyptians, sees Pharaoh as a god. This is God speaking to his people. And he specifically says, listen, listen, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River. 
but you may let the girls live. What does this mean? It means simply this. If you are an Egyptian at that time and you are walking down the road and you see a Hebrew child, newborn baby boy, it is your duty, you are commanded by your God to grab that child from its mother, walk to the river, and throw it in. Now you go, Aaron, why do you got to be so... I want you to understand the world that, 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 we're, that we're seeing here. Okay? This is the world that we find this birth in. Pharaoh has ordered all his people, not just the guards, not just the kingly, but, but you're just a guy on the road. You're just a potter someplace. It is your job. You have been commanded to throw children in the river. You know, we talk a lot about our world today and the depravity of it. Um, can I help us with something? We've been deprived as human beings for a long, long time. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. Okay? Let's look now. Let's continue. Exodus 2. So Exodus 2, 1 through 4. Now we see a really cool situation. We've kind of laid the groundwork. We've kind of given you the setting of, the, of where this birth is going to take place. Now we get into it. About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. So obviously this is where we get into the birth story where Moses is born and he's put, he's hidden for a long time, for about three months. And then eventually they can't hide the child anymore. So, so they, they make a, a basket, a little, um, almost like an ark. You know, some of the things I was studying kind of compared this little basket to an ark and some of the wording and things like that in the Hebrew. But they place this baby and then they put the baby in the reeds and then the sister watches from afar. Exodus 2, 5 through 8. Let's continue on. So Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river and her attendants walked around the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying and she felt sorry for him. Now this is important. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. What is that? Wait a minute. Her God... Her dad, her father, has commanded, listen, you find a baby on the street, you find it anywhere, you get rid of this thing. She realizes immediately that this is a situation that she has a choice to make. What's she going to do? And she looks and she goes, she realizes this is a Hebrew child. Her duty is to take that child and put her right back in the river, maybe without the basket. She knows what's going on. Okay, so she realizes it. Now let's go on with verse number seven. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Now, let's stop. Listen, I, don't, I didn't mention this before. Maybe I should have. And maybe we'll talk about this girl as well. Our new series is, is, that we're going to be talking about is called Courage. Okay? And we're going to be talking about courage over the next several weeks. But I want you to think about the courage that it took for this little girl to do what she did. She approaches her, and see, now, now what we have is an issue here. Now we have an eyewitness situation. Because see, now before it was, I can hide and I don't have to. Now there's somebody that's going to know. 
Hey, listen, hey, I'll go get a, a lady, a Hebrew lady. She didn't say, I'll go get an Egyptian woman to help with this. She's, this, this little girl's brave. This little girl stands up and says, listen, I'll, I'll be counted, I'll be seen. Remember what she's doing before, she's hiding, hiding in the bushes. And so what the woman says, she says, yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. So she goes and gets Moses' mom and brings her. So now let's finish this up in Exodus 2, 9 and 10. It says, so she goes and gets her mom. She shows up. And then the, the Pharaoh's daughter says, take this baby and nurse him for me. The princess told the baby's mother, I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. It's a great story, isn't it? It's one of those stories that we have heard and experienced. We've seen movies about it. We've seen cartoons about it. We've grown up, a lot of us, with understanding this story. And it's a beautiful story. And it's a beautiful story that, that we can focus in on. Because I believe it's going to show us something very important today. That we need to understand. This is in your notes. The birth of Moses shows us that God is in the business of reversals. God is in the business of of reversals. I see this in scripture a lot and I really think that as we study this and look at this I think we can tell that God doesn't just he isn't in just in the business of reversals like God enjoys reversals. You get what I'm saying? Like God sits there and he's like man this is going to be good. Man I cannot wait to see how I can take a situation and turn it around and reverse. Okay, now let me explain something to you. When I understand, when I say the word reversals, what am I thinking? The best way I can describe the idea of a reversal is, is probably maybe what you're thinking of is when you get in your car. Okay, you sit down in your car, you put your seatbelt on, you're ready to go. If you want to go forward, you put the car in drive. Okay, I, I, I hope someone got that and I hope it was someone that, that I, heard, I heard a word that maybe wasn't drive and I'm just hoping that person can't drive yet, okay? So you put the car in drive and you go forward. You're wanting to go a certain direction. You're headed a certain way. I'm going to go that way. But if you want to go the opposite direction, you put the car in reverse. Reverse. Okay? R is not real fast. R is reverse. You put it in there and then you go backwards. And you see, sometimes what I've seen and what I think we can learn from this story is there are people and there are situations where we look at it and we go, okay, we're going to go this way. We are going a direction and we are going to focus in on that. And sometimes God comes and because of what he does and because of how he handles it, God takes it and he reverses it and we go a different direction. And I think it's an important thing that we understand. And I want to look in this story at some, some instances where God not just kind of redirects, but he reverses the course of a situation. Reverses it, not just changes it. Now, because I'm, I'm talking about something a little bit different here. Okay, a lot of people, what we think of reversals is God, is another kind of an R word, it's God redirecting. Okay? Now let me explain what I believe the difference is. If I am being redirected by God, it is a situation where, let's say I want to go towards the music stand where my notes are. So I am headed that way, but God redirects me over here to the iPad that's on this stand. 
I'm still going roughly the same direction, but I've been redirected. Reversals are something different. Reversals are a situation where I'm headed towards the music stand and God turns me around and heads me towards the drum set. These are things that are major events in our lives. These are things that God does to, to keep us from a direction that I believe is going to be damaging to our walk with him or our lives or whatever. So these are major things. And I believe God takes in this story and shows us in this story many of those things. And so I believe I've listed five that I want to focus in on this morning. And these are going to be in your notes. Number one, the Nile River was going to be used to bring death, but God uses it to bring deliverance. Remember in our story, he, he, Pharaoh's tried. He said, okay, i got to get rid of these kids. i gotta, I got to keep this, this population down. So he's tried to, to have them killed at birth. It doesn't work. So what's he say to do? He says, throw the kids in the river. He could have done many different things. But Pharaoh's idea is, listen, I'm going to take this river, this, this basically this death trap of a place, and I'm going to have all these kids thrown into it. All these boys are going to be thrown into it. So he's got his plan. He's been scheming. He's been figured it all out. He's rubbing his hands together and laughing diabolically. And what's God do? God says, listen, you want to use the river? Fine. I'll use it too. And where does Moses' mom and dad put him? In the river. In the river. You know what we found is a lot of times, and I do this too, we're praying for God to bring a reversal. And what we're praying for is that God will bring a reversal in a way that gets us away from the river. Because we don't like the river. The river is death. The river is, is that's where you go to die. And God, I love this. God will say, you know what? I'll keep you in the river. But here's the thing. That river that, that some people or other situations thought were going to bring death, I'll use it to bring deliverance. Sometimes we need to stop praying that God gets us out of the river and pray that God will just bring deliverance in the river. And there's something important to catch in that. Because I found in my own life, I'll spend so much time trying to have God get me out of the river that I'll forget that God can use the rivers in my life to bring deliverance for me and my family and my church and my world. So God says, you know, you know, Pharaoh, you want to use the river? Go right ahead. I'll use it too. And he uses the river to bring that reversal. Number two, the baby who was sentenced to death now lives. I mean, this is an easy one. Moses was sentenced to death. You, we kind of forget that a little bit in the story. This baby had a death warrant on its head. Just like every other child. Every other male in this time. This child was, I mean, you want to talk about, and we'll talk about this later. You want to talk about an ultimate reversal. I mean, this is death to life. This is, this is murder to deliverance and, and salvation. And in this story, we see that. God says, hey, listen, you have this situation. It's your sentence to death. But you know what? My sentence is life. Doesn't matter what your sentence is. My sentence is life. And if I speak life, life will come. Life will be what wins. So we see that reversal. Number three, the poor slave woman. I love this. The poor slave woman who had to give her child away, basically, or, or give away her child, is now paid to take him back. 
Our God's so good. Okay, okay now, this is one of those moments, again, I love these moments we have and we get to share together. These moments where we have to pull away a little bit from our story. We have to chip away a little bit of the marble man or the marble woman that we have when we read these stories. And I want you to think, and I want you to think hard what it must have been like for that mom and that dad to let go of that child. Can you imagine? You go, well, I, I'm, I'm too young. I don't have kids. Just a, I think you can get an idea. For those of us that have children or have grandchildren or have nieces or nephews, can you imagine that moment where they had to say, God, I, I let him go. I put him in the basket and I let him go. And what's God do? God don't, not only saves the child, not only does, does God say, I got something amazing. God says, I'll give you your child back with wages on top of it. I'll give you your child back with more. That, listen, hear me here. Hear me. There, there's some truth that, that is here that we need to get. And, and, and the, the, I'll be honest with you. As I, as I put this message together, one of the issues I was having was I had like 400 different directions that I could go in. And I'm like trying to bring it all together and not have it where, you know, everybody walks away and basically says, well, I heard this, and I heard this, and I heard this, and I heard this. But, but there is some truth here about giving. How this person, how this family let him go. And God said, you know what? I'll outgive you. It's like we talked about a couple weeks ago. I'll outgive you. And so now, this poor slave woman is paid to take her child back. That's a reversal. That's God saying, let me at it. Let me do something great. And let me show you how, even though it seemed like you were giving it all away, that instead, I'll give you more than you could ever dream of. Number four, the child that was, uh, this is good, the child that was in peril by the hand of Pharaoh is now protected by Pharaoh's own family. I like that a lot. That's good. You ever think about that? Like, I, I was, as I was studying this, I was looking at it, and I'm going, that, that was one of those moments, like, I was all alone in my office. Thank goodness Linda wasn't there, because she would have thought I was nuts, not that she doesn't normally. But, I mean, I was, like, right in there, and I started thinking, I was like, I mean, it was like a light bulb came out. I'm like, wait a minute. This is, and I'm sorry, I'm dumb, but I was, this, is, this is Pharaoh's daughter. This is the family of Pharaoh. Okay, listen, if you don't believe God doesn't giggle in heaven, he does. And I'm telling you right now, God's putting all that together in this story. And I'm telling you right now, God is just sitting there giggling. He's like, oh man, you think you got it all figured out. Watch this. He nudges Jesus. You know, hey Jesus, watch, watch, watch what I'm going to do here. You know, Pharaoh thinks he's God. Pharaoh thinks he can make plans. He can show things and he can say things. Watch what I'll do. Watch me reverse this situation where instead of Pharaoh's family being the one that basically says you're dead, you have no hope, you have no future, it's over and it's gone. Instead, Pharaoh's own family protects the man who eventually stands before another Pharaoh and says you will let my people go. That's good. That's important to catch. 
God used Pharaoh's own family to bring deliverance to Moses. You know, God is not limited in who and what he uses to accomplish his purposes. What's great is we can know and believe that God's purposes will be accomplished. And sometimes God will use some very strange tools to bring it about, but God will do it. God will do it. The final one. The child that was going to be a slave and a peasant is now a prince. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? The, the, the baby who, who, even if he survived, was supposed to be enslaved, was supposed to just be another, basically, mule, is now had been transformed into a prince of Egypt. A prince of Egypt. He was going one way, and God said, reversal. And he takes him another way. In this story, there are some, and there's more than that. But I, these are five areas where I see God basically saying, listen, you think you're going one way. You think this is the situation and the circumstance. But I have the power. I have the authority. I have the ability to reverse it and take you in a completely different direction. A completely different way. A way that are, is, is a situation where, where God can only get the credit and only get the glory. You see, I like those things that take place in our lives because it focuses us onto God. I love it when we have situations where, where and I've had these conversations with people in moments where, where they have this type of response. It, the only way that that situation could have happened, God was the only way. God is the only way. You know, we'll have situations that we, we take place, and, and I mean those redirection kind of places where we're kind of, well, you know, God could have done that, but, but you know, this took place or that took place. You know, these, re these reversals are these situations where in my mind's eye, what I see is almost like we're walking one direction and God kind of holds us by the head very gently, not meanly, of course, and just kind of goes, and redirects us the other way. I've seen it in hospital rooms. I've seen it in people's finances. I've seen it in relationships. I've seen it in marriages. I've seen it in, in family dynamics with kids and parents. I've seen it in so many ways where basically God in his timing, in his way, says, you know what? You may think you're going one way. You may think you have a destiny. You may think that this is the way to go, but I'm going to come and I'm going to intercede and intervene and I'm going to take you and I'm going to turn you and I'm going to take you a different way. And in those moments, we sit there and we go, God, only you, only you could do those things. And we worship and we adore you, Father, for those things. So let's have a little application before we close. What can we learn from the birth of Moses when we need God to bring about a reversal in our lives? What do we need to learn from this? How can we apply this? What can we understand? And listen, I, I, I only got one again this week. One to focus in on, one to remember, one to hold close. And it's simply this. God will take the wrong and make it right. Do you hear me? God will take the wrong and make it right.
not, listen, I didn't put God will sometimes take the wrong and make it right. I didn't put God will take what you perceive to be wrong and make it right. There is some faith that understands in this statement that God knows what's right and what's wrong. And in times, you don't. And I don't. That's one of those things that we sometimes struggle with. We get upset because we want God to bring a reversal in a situation or a circumstance. And God doesn't. And the reason God doesn't is not because God is late or because God doesn't care or because God hates your guts or all that other nonsense. It's because there's quite possibly what you thought was a wrong, God has for a right, for reasons that we may never understand. So we have to trust that God knows what the rights are more than we know what the rights are. Okay? And no, that's hard sometimes. I know that's difficult sometimes, but God knows that situation better than we do. Let's look at some scriptures that show us this as we kind of bring this to a close. Let's look at Luke 4. Luke 4 is, is a, source of, a portion of scripture that many of us know, but we need to look at it because I think it's important as we talk about this idea of God taking the wrong and making it right. This is what it says. It says, when he came, he being Jesus, came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. Now, this is before Jesus' ministry has really, really begun. This is kind of, in a lot of people's eyes, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. Jesus unrolled, or he unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. Now, I want to stop there. Don't turn over it quite yet, Monica, because I want, I want to focus on here. This is important, Okay. This is, this is important because in this, what we're seeing is Jesus is, is quoting scripture for the first time for us, okay? We've talked about this before. The first matter, okay? So Jesus here, in, he is beginning his ministry. He is kind of stepping out and he's given a scroll and he goes to this particular passage for a purpose, Listen to what he says. Now let's go ahead and go on with verse number 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. What has Jesus just communicated to us? I'll give it to you simply. Jesus has basically said, I have come to make the wrong things right. I have come to bring forth something different than has been brought forth before. I am coming to bring a reversal that this world has never seen before and will never see in this way again. I am coming to take dead things and make them alive again. I'm coming to take blind things and make them to see again. I am coming to take things that are in captivity and bring freedom to them. I am coming for those that are oppressed and going to bring forth an unbelievable amount of freedom. And all these things, Jesus is coming and he's doing he's promising it he's saying this is what i'm going to do why because i have come to make the things that were wrong right again you see there was a time when everything was right and because of our sin because of our rebellion because of what we did that was reversed but jesus is stating here listen i'm going to come and i'm going to reverse it all i'm going to reverse 
it all. It's his mission. It's his calling. And here's what's great about this. He is still doing that today. He is still reaching out today. He is still doing that work. He is still saying, listen, I'm still bringing freedom to the captive. I'm still bringing blind people, physical sight, and and blind spiritually people, spiritual sight. I am still doing those things. Jesus has not stopped, and he is still in the reversal business. No matter where we're headed, no matter what we're dealing with, no matter what the situation is, we can know and believe that God can bring forth a reversal and make the wrong things right. Look at Romans 3, 21. We'll close with this scripture. It says, but now God, listen, listen, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Listen, listen, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, I love this, no matter who we are. I want to read that again. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true For everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Let's continue on with verse 23. He says, for everyone has sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. The greatest reversal that has ever been or will ever be in your life or anyone's life is the reversal where Jesus comes and because we accept that gift and that forgiveness and that love something that was dead is brought alive again something that was on its way a direction that was going to bring death shame just some bad bad stuff it is redirected it is taken and it's turned. I remember, I'm sure they're still around, but I remember when I was just getting into youth ministry and as, you know, 100 years ago, wherever that was, and, and there was a pretty big youth group or something, or I went to a conference as a youth pastor, and it was, it was called a 180 conference, and I believe it was put on by a, a larger church that had a youth group, and they, they were called 180. And I remember that, hearing that, uh, if the worship team wants to come on up, as we're going to close, and, 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 and kind of hearing that and seeing that, we went to this church uh, that, that had this, this, this um, youth group in it, and, and they had their logo everywhere, and, and, and this idea of, of, of 180 was this concept in, in their understanding of, of, listen, you know, if you're going to go 360, a 360 is you're just going to turn around and do a circle and just keep going the way you're going. A 180 is half that, obviously, so it's going halfway and going a different direction. It's, it's an understanding that, that we may be headed a certain way, but God, through Jesus, can come and he can bring forth a reversal in our direction. He can come and bring us to a place that we never thought we could go. Now, 
Here's how I'd like to close this service, because obviously as, as we kind of bring this to a close, I think that as I kind of shared before, I don't know if it's today or, you know, maybe somebody two weeks from now or two years from now who sees this that needed to hear this message, but I truly believe there are people here this morning, uh, here at church, also online, right now, that, that you know of a situation that you need God to bring forth a reversal in. Not a redirection, okay? I want you to be specific. I, I think this is a specific word for a specific moment, okay? And I, I'm talking about a reversal. I'm talking about situations where, where it's, 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 not, it's not you're going the direction God, God literally wants to take you and say, listen, I, you may be going north, but I'm literally going to take you and turn you and take you south. That type of moment. You see, we have to understand something about our story of Moses. Okay? There had to be a moment in that story where the father and the mother build an ark, they place the child in it, and they let it go. They trust that God can do an impossible thing. They trust that God can take a situation that's horrible and seems lost of hope and bring forth a, a reversal in it. And listen, if you have accepted Jesus, you should already know and believe that God has the ability to take any situation and reverse it because he's already done it in our lives. But for maybe those that don't, listen, the greatest reversal that you are ever going to experience is when you give yourself over to Jesus and say, you know what? Father, you can make things right again in me. You can take the way I'm going and the direction that I'm heading and you can lovingly correct and reverse and send me towards you and send me towards salvation and hope and peace and joy. You can do that, Father. My job is to accept it. And for some of us, that's what we need to do this morning. We need to accept that love and that grace and let God take us a different way. For others of us, there is certain situations that we are dealing with that we truly need God to bring forth a reversal in. Okay? Now listen, I don't know exactly what those are. Okay? I don't. But I will say this. I felt in my spirit since I've kind of been fighting over this this week, okay, that there's been a real heaviness about God wanting to do a reversal in families, okay? Whether that be children and, 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 and parents, whether, and when I say children and parents, listen, don't go to just, here's our, here's our 13-year-old kid deal. I'm talking about like children-parent relationships where the child's 45 years old, okay? And, and the, the father or the mother is, is, is up there. You get what I'm saying? Now, it may be children and parents. I don't know. But I think it's bigger than that. And also, I believe that it's, it's a very strong when it comes to marital relationships. Like there, is a, there are situations, there are people right now that are hearing my voice, whether it's today or, or later on, that, that have a marital situation that it seems hopeless, 
it seems like there is no other direction other than separation, divorce, and, and, and those types of situations. And I believe that God is still in the business of reversals. And I don't know why God sometimes in these situations waits so long. I I don't have that explanation. I've had people come to me, well, God's going to do this. Why doesn't he just do it? I don't know. Why did did Moses' mom and dad wait three months? Because the timing wasn't right. Maybe because Pharaoh's daughter wasn't going to be bathing on that day. I don't know. All I know is that as we trust God, we trust that he can bring forth those reversals in his timing and in his way and that he will make wrong things right. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I know my God is big enough, strong enough, powerful enough, has the authority, and he will at some point make everything wrong and make it right again. And I believe that, and I stand on that. Maybe some of you are dealing with some financial situations or, or, or you, you know some bills. or I don't know what it is, but you just need God to come and bring forth a reversal in your life. If that's you, what I need you to do is I want you just to hold that in your hands. Okay? Spiritually speaking, I want you to just hold that in your hand. Okay? Whatever that is, name it, hold on to it. What we're going to do is in a lot of ways, listen to me, hear me. We're going to be like Moses' mom and dad. And we're going to let it go in that river. We're going to give it to him. We're going to place it among the reeds. And we're going to let God bring forth what only God can do. We're going to trust him in a way that we never have before. Listen, we are moving into a 21-day time of prayer and fasting. We're going to put that, and that is going to be on our prayer list every single day during this time. That thing. Because I'm not promising, and God doesn't promise, that, hey, listen, if you do a 21-day fast and prayer thing, that by the end of it, I'll I'll have Pharaoh's daughter is going to show up. I don't know when Pharaoh's daughter is going to show up. But I know what God's word says and what God's word promises. And it promises that everything that's wrong is going to be made right again. It may be an eternity, but it'll come. And we trust that timing. So you got that thing. You're holding on to it. No matter what it is. It could be something I didn't mention. Whatever God is speaking to your heart right now, I want you to hold it. And we're going to pray and we're going to release it. We're going to let God do what only God can do. Pharaoh's daughter wasn't coming to Moses' mom and dad's house to bring forth deliverance. They had to let him go and let God work. And so, Father, right now, God, for everybody that can hear my voice, whether it's on this day or 10 years from now, or it doesn't matter. God, every individual that's hearing my voice that's holding on to something, God, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray that they would let it go. That they would place it in your hands. They would let it go. Even if it seems like it's releasing it into a place that it was designed to die in. 
that they would trust you enough, trust your reversal enough to let it go, to trust you, to live in hope and joy and peace, knowing that you'll make it all right again in your timing and in your way. And so right now, Father, myself included, we let it go. We let it go. We give it to you to allow you to do the miraculous work that only you can do. We know you got it. We love you. And we thank you. Because we know you'll make it right again. Let's all stand. Let's celebrate what's coming. Let's celebrate the reversals that are coming today. And let's worship together with one final song. Thank you, Father. Father, God, right now, I just, I speak against the spirit of hopelessness. 
And in the name that is above every name, in the name of Jesus, we speak directly to that and we say, you have no place here. You have no place in this family, in this church, or in the heart of any believer within the sound of my voice. We speak to it and we say, go, it doesn't belong. And Jesus, in its place, I pray for a new spirit of hope to arise, a new level of hope to come, where situations cannot phase it, moments cannot destroy it, because that hope is based in you, not in situations or circumstances, but in you. We place our hope and our trust in you, knowing that that is a firm, firm, firm foundation. We love you and we thank you. And God, we're excited in your timing to hear of the reversals that you will bring about. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you, Father. Hey, listen, again, Happy New Year. Thank you for being here. We're going to be together again this Wednesday at 7 o'clock for our first Wednesday night prayer and worship time. Be here if you can. If you, if you can, show up online, whatever. It works. We'll be together, and it's an important time, okay? I love you. Have a great week, and I'll see you all on Wednesday.